Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. Today I have an interview with Jason Rohr, who is probably best known for his 2008 uh, award-winning game Passage, which was one of the first art games that I remember um, that started getting mainstream press as an art game. Uh, before then, and still today, Rohr has been a prolific indie game designer who consistently brings his own unique aesthetics to his games, and I'm really glad that I got a chance to talk to him. I actually hadn't been on top as on top of Roar's career as I probably should have been over the years. In preparation for this podcast, I caught up on a few of his games. Most of all, his latest game, One Hour, One Life, which we talked about in some detail in the interview. I also familiarized myself with a couple of other of his games from his career, and they're all, at the very least, an interesting concept. After this conversation, I was left with a lot more questions, so I really do hope that we get a chance to talk to him again on the show. I don't want to talk about it too much here without giving him a chance to respond, um, but I do suspect that we have some pretty profound political differences, which only gets sort of touched on in the interview itself. Before we head into the interview, a few quick updates. One is Escape the Omnocronom is still in early access. It's uh, version 8 is in the works right now, um, Some doing some massive balance shifting uh, Actually, in version 7 was really big, but 8's going to be more of like a cleanup kind of thing. Um, I think the game is is coming together, but, you know, it's it's a weird moving target thing where, I don't know, it might be, it might start getting really good uh, in the next couple patches, and it might take like another four or five months. I really don't know. Um, but it's, I'm enjoying the process of having this game that's out, that people can play test, and that I can just patch, and that's something that I really miss that feeling. Um, on, also, I'm working on another game. Uh, it's my next game, and it's under development already, and it's making really good progress. And I'm going to start having some patron-only posts for that one. That one is going to be like kept totally private, except on my Patreon, uh, over the next few months. So if you do want to um, learn about that and see what's going on with that, please become a patron. Also, if you like the show, become a patron. Um, anyway, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Rohr. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Things are going so, pretty well. Yeah, things are going good. Yeah, I've been uh, hard at work on my uh, new game, but uh, uh, also still thinking about design all the time. So, um, When you say your new game, are you referring to One Hour, One Life or something after that? Yeah, One Hour, One Life. I mean, it's a it's a pretty big project, so I've probably got another two years to go on it. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's not – that game isn't uh, a design – a design heavy game in a way. Right. Um, I mean, More of a uh, content thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Some, something came up today that is sort of a design issue, uh, you know, in the forums. I mean, there's a lot of community involvement in the, in discussing aspects of the game and how it's changing. I'm putting out weekly updates, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things people are talking about, which is a design issue or would normally be seen as a, as a design issue, but is not in this game is, uh, there's these pine walls that you can build. There's like three different types of walls that you can build in the game. There's like adobe walls, stone walls, and pine walls. Pine walls were the ones that were there in the very beginning, the sort of like the most primitive types of walls you could build, but they're actually the hardest types of walls to build. Um, and everyone's saying, oh, the pine wall recipe, they call it, you know, as players are sure. thinking of it as recipes, you know, that, that recipe needs to be balanced. It's not, you know, it's not balancing. You need 25 rope to build a pine wall, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're, la you're lashing it together one piece at a time. And, um, and my response to that is, well, yeah, it's unbalanced. This isn't a, you know, a normal crafting game with like recipes like, you know, 125 stone plus, you know, 85 sure. wood equals a hatchet. And if you use 100 stone plus, you know, 150 wood, it makes a pickaxe, right? Right. Um, 
everything in the game is like this kind of step-by-step crafting system, right? You don't just like combine flint and wood together and make a fire, right? It's like, no, no, you actually have to make a bow drill and you have to make the rope for the bow drill and then you have to use the bow drill on a shaft and produce an ember. And then even after you have the ember, that's not a fire. Like in real life, an ember doesn't turn into a fire instantly, right? You have to carefully carry it on a leaf and put it in a tinder nest and and blow on it to get it to turn into a flame and then put, you can't just put a log on that. It'll put it right out, right? You have to put kindling on that after you get the little flame going. Right. You know, so so all those steps are in there, and that tends to that sort of simulationy nature of it, like the realistic uh, maker kind of aesthetic, tends to make things unbalanced, right? Like a pine wall is a pain in the neck to make. <laughs> well, it's balanced by a different standard, right? So it's just not right. balanced from like a sort of game, a strategy game perspective. But I think you probably do have some standard you're operating by that by which you are deciding these numbers, right? And what standard would that be? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is that the game has no um, like where if you think about most crafting games, it's it, it is about these numbers, right? Like mm-hmm. how many pieces of stone plus how many sure. pieces of rope plus how There's many pieces of straw somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there are no numbers like that in this game. Nothing ever takes multiple units of something, right? Because that's not the I mean, you don't you don't sit there and say, like, I want to make a hatchet. How many units in real life? You okay. wouldn't say how many units of stone do I need to make my hatchet? Uh-huh. Right. You go and find the right stone for the hatchet and you make the hatchet. It's not a certain number of stones, right? Okay. Uh, and so it's very strange, you know, in like a game like Rust or, or even Don't Starve that you need, you know, 150 stone to make a hatchet. I mean, why why right. would you need 150 pieces of stone to make a hatchet yeah. that has one piece of stone? Well, you it. could see that as like 150 grams of stone or something. I don't know. There's some way that you could like logically explain it, I suppose. But I, I get what you're saying. But, you know, the way you harvest the stone is you go over to a big rock and like hit it. You know, uh, like, so 150 pieces of stone, it's 10 stone per hit. Right. So you go and hit it 15 times. Right. So why would you hit a big rock 15 times? You know, it's just like, anyway. yeah, yeah. so, so I'm like saying like, I'm trying to capture the maker aesthetic, right? If you go and watch videos of somebody making something or even like, I'm sure you've seen the video. It's super popular on Reddit, right? Like primitive technology, that guy down in New Zealand, I think it is, who's like in just shorts and nothing else. And he's like making a bunch of stuff from scratch, right? Like, mm-hmm. like what does it take to make a fire from scratch? What does it take to fire pottery from scratch, to build a building from scratch to, right. he's even refining metal from scratch, right? Where every little thing, he's using no tools. He's got no- nothing except what he's finding in the woods. And if you watch somebody doing that, or you watch the movie Castaway or something, right? I mean, there's this very sort of methodical piece by piece process where you're, where you're, you're, all these steps are in a very important order. It's like, you know, all these crafting games just kind of take like all these to make a hatchet, what you do in a lot of these games is just take all these ingredients, the right numbers, and just kind of stir them together, and suddenly you get a hatchet, right? Right, <laughs> like the, right. Now, actually, no, bef- I, this is no really step. interesting. Yeah, the, the – the, so actually, you should introduce people. I, I want to get into a bunch of, like, topics, but real quick, you should uh, just give people a rundown really quick on what One Hour, One Life is if they haven't heard of it because that will give context for this conversation, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, One Hour, One Life is a, uh, a civilization building game, a multiplayer civilization building game um, where the world starts off completely natural and untouched by human hands and uh, the first person to join the server – is cast as the role of Eve, right? She's the first human being. She's spawned in as a full-grown adult. Subsequent players uh, that join the server are born as a helpless baby to some other player on the server. So the second player, for example, would be Eve's first baby. And after that, you know, player grows up, they could have babies of their own and so on. So you join the server, you're a helpless screaming baby that is going to die in in literally like 30 seconds if some other player around you doesn't come and help you and take care of you, right? Uh And then once you you grow up, you slowly become more and more capable and more and more able to take care of yourself. uh, And eventually you'll be in charge of taking care of other new players that are joining the server. Um, But uh, 
the pro- the thing that people are doing collaboratively on the server is kind of rebuilding civilization from scratch, starting literally starting with rocks and sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Like what would it what would it take the the philosophical one of the philosophical questions under underpinning the game is like if we had to start over from scratch, like it took us like you know we could say like between two and three thousand years to get from Stone Age technology to like the iPhone, which is a very mm-hmm. complicated piece of technology. How many years would it take us if we had to start over from scratch, even if we knew what we were trying to do, right? Right. <laughs> so in the game, there's no there's no really discovery or invention. You kind of know. I mean, you're 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 rebuilding things that people already know how to make, right? Right. Um. And and it's interesting that you know if you can't figure out how to do something in one hour one life, um, as opposed to like looking at a recipe guide, you could actually study how it would be done in real life. Like if you want to know how to make a fire. Go watch a, like a primitive fire making video on YouTube, huh. and it'll basically show you how to make a fire in one hour, one life. So right? your it's, standard uh, is it fair to say that your standard for when you are making? I guess you're not making numeric balance decisions, but you do make some balance decisions in some ways. Like you don't want it to be too hard for people to, for example, make a fire or to get food, or like you want there to be. There is like a balance consideration there, but you're trying to balance like sort of just general player experience versus basically like a simulation. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's like well, normally when people talk about balance in game design, right, this this is the opposite of it really is the opposite of what I'm doing. The, the fact of the matter is people never build pine walls, right? <laughs> like they just, you know, somebody experimented with it once like this is a lot of work. It takes so much rope. Rope's a mm-hmm. valuable resource. It's really hard to produce when you're in a primitive situation. Um, and we need rope for so many other things. These mm-hmm. adobe walls don't use any rope and they're, you know, take a little less labor and so on and less time. So and they're better because they are more insulating. Well, that's true. There's a reason why we don't see lashed pine pine panel walls all over the place, right? Any mm-hmm. place people could, they built adobe walls, right? And right. so you know, pine panel walls are in there in the game because it's something that's possible to make. Um, and you might make it occasionally for aesthetic reasons, almost like I mean, the only time I've ever made them was like in Boy Scouts when we were learning how to build primitive shelters just for an exercise, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you know, that is in there. That content is. It, according to normal game design theory is an unbalanced piece of content right because uh, players it's 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 like you know it's like that unit in starcraft that no one would ever use right, right. that unit then the players would all say this unit needs some love right <laughs> or league of legends right if some champion is i often try to play the champions that are the, like the least popular champions mm-hmm. but when when riot sees that that this champion is languishing like yorick for example mm-hmm. they they reinvent them right and try and figure out how to bring them to make them relevant again yeah. Um, and so this is different. I can't do that, right? Not without uh, sort of uh, completely leaving reality behind and the reality of of making things, right? Which is a really important aesthetic in this game. So it's this it's this kind of really interesting. I mean, as a game designer, I've never done this before, right? I've always mm, been yeah. very very focused on balance, very focused on making sure every little thing uh, is, fits together and tweaking all these little numbers, you know, constantly to get. You know, to look for things that are are being left behind and so on, or, or uh, you know, things that need love or whatever. Um, and uh, and this time around, I'm literally saying, well, but that's, I mean, it, it's going to take a lot of rope to make a pine panel, guys. There's no way around. Right. I'm not going to say, oh, now it takes one rope. And there's a sure. lot of lashing involved here. Yeah. <laughs> And well, you're maybe, lashing it step by step. You're putting one piece of wood on, lashing it on. Then you put the next piece of wood on, lash it on. It's not like you just right. throw it all in a pot and stir, right? Sure, sure. So, okay, so I have a, I have a few, I have a few major topics I want to get to. I want to talk about strategy games. I want to talk about a few things. But um, first, uh, this is going to sound like one of those like sort of boilerplate, meaningless questions. But I'm curious what it's not because it, it'll f- feed into what I want to talk about, which is. What did you play as a kid? What were you, did you play the kind of games that I played as a kid? Like, you know, I, I kind of assumed that you played systemy 
like um competitive uh games growing up like what did you play as you were growing up like from the ages of i don't know well, okay so well first 15. of all how how old are you keith i'm 36 you're, I, you're 36, five years so, older than me or something yeah like that, I'm, right? I'm four i'm 40 right so i'm a little bit older the idea of playing competitive games as a child um a competitive systemy games i mean i don't think they existed i mean there was no access to the internet right <laughs> like, no but even like two player like uh fighting games or like uh like combat for atari i was big on or like you know um uh, i don't know the original mario brothers there was plenty of competitive uh games not necessarily competitive games but just like you know systemy like uh executiony um like mario um, well so i i sort of think what of systemy and, ex- systemy and ex- executiony as being kind of opposite the ends of a spectrum, right? I mean, like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally think of Mario as a systemy game, right? <laughs> but well, I did but play. The, uh, what I'm getting at with that is that it Mario is just about the things that happen in Mario. It's not about, it's not any kind of like, it's not. There's not much of a story. There's not much in the way of theme. It's just about like, can you jump over these pits? You know what I mean? And so in that oh, way, right, it's okay. kind of systemy. Yeah. Um, you mean, yeah, I, I don't know, as opposed to thematic or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> or, right, exactly. Or, or yeah. delivering cutscenes. <laughs> yeah. Right, sure. I mean, the, you know, we go back far enough, there were no, there were no really complicated systems in any of these games for the most part, and there also were no, I mean, not in the way that we as modern designers think of complicated systems design, nor was there any content really, right? So, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's interesting, like trimming down of all the stuff that came, you know, if we, we then we get up to like, oh, we got big content games. We're talking about Resident Evil, right? On the PlayStation 1 or something, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, when then we start talking about really he- systems heavy games and, you know, I mean, it starts talking about like l- sort of later generation computer games where computers were capable of like. <laughs> well, simulating I mean, some of the off. early computer games like uh, what Origin was doing, uh, the early Ultima games had some pretty ambitious uh, elements to them. They were pretty right, uh, complicated, right. but they were also sort of niche. Anyway, what did you play? I'm yeah, curious, yeah, sorry. Like, yeah, yeah, where yeah. you came um, from? So I... Um, you know, my parents were reluctant to uh, get video game consoles into our house, right? So whenever I would ask for them for as a gift or something, I often wouldn't get them. <laughs> okay. So I think at some point we finally got, you know, we my my parents didn't trust Nintendo for some reason. So something about Atari they felt was like simpler and less insidious. Mm-hmm. So they got us an Atari. Actually, got us an Atari seventy eight hundred. Okay. Um, which can play both 2600 and these new seventy eight hundred games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the games, of course, my parents were right. Were were very simple and sort of, I mean, you t- mentioned combat, but you know, the, a lot, a lot of them were sort of one screen games yeah, <laughs> um, and not the kind of thing that would like really suck you down into a murky depths of a rabbit hole. And I don't know if my parents had that intuition or not, but later on, you know, a couple of years later, we finally got a, a Nintendo entertainment system and yeah, I mean, the rabbit hole is there with something like, you know, the original legend of Zelda or even, mm. you know, all the secrets and stuff that are present in Mario um, or, you know, I'm thinking of like Rygar or, you know, Contra or some of the games that I was what playing about, on there. Like in your teen, teen and twenties, like what, what did you play? So I was sort of a, uh, a, a 3d, uh, delight hound. You know, I was the kid who was always looking at the, uh, the back of the, the back of the boxes at the screenshots and picking games based on that in the early sure. days and mm-hmm. sometimes being uh, you know, horribly disappointed because something oh, yeah. had good graphics but was a horrible game. I bought um, a 3do. So I know yeah, exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I had an Atari Jaguar and, uh, oh, yeah. there, there were some amazing things on that, I guess, but probably only because of the tech delight kind of aspects uh-huh. of them. Um, that control so, you know, I guess, you know, I, yeah, the, <laughs> the controller, the um, I mean, I, that was thing on it. Well, yeah, but that's that's where I got exposed to uh, Tempest, right? So, oh yeah, uh, Tempest kind of came out before my time in terms of arcade game history. 
Um, but there was this Jeff Minter uh, version of it called Tempest uh, 2K or something, Tempest 2000, right, um, on the Atari Jaguar. And it mm-hmm. was uh, pretty amazing, right? So, uh, and that was a Jaguar exclusive, I think. So, you know, yeah. then we were playing like, you know, on the Jaguar, we had things like Alien versus Predator, right, which is like mm-hmm. this like, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess I would say sort of somewhat of a Doom clone uh, right. But with all these uh, alien and predator kind of mechanics, like the predators had heat vision and the aliens could climb on the ceiling and so on. Yeah. Uh, and it was still a single player game, right? Uh, where you just picked your role and then went off and like killed uh, non-player characters. <laughs> right. Uh, so there was that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I guess I remember Resident Evil having a huge impact. And then uh, in college, discovering like Metal Gear stuff. Mm. Um, so like Metal Gear Solid and then Sons of Liberty, the second one, uh, which really had this sort of, I don't know, kind of postmodern kind of mm-hmm. way of like twisting this complicated story with some, you know, meaning and sort of uh, like, I guess, you know, he had he had sort of a message or something he wanted to say with it. Right. Which is sort right. of a revelation to me. Um, and that's uh, that's crucial because that's kind of where I'm going with this is that looking at your gameography, like um, it seems like it came natural to you to make games that are about more than just what's happening in this little systemic, you know, uh, um, garden. And, uh, that has, did not come natural to me at all. And I wonder like, cause I mean, when you were talking about metal gear and metal gear solid two, like I was thinking back to myself at that time and I was completely jaded about like those kind of like big console games. And, um, and I, I was very already like, I, I pulled back into these like system kind of things, but uh, I'm looking over your games and I haven't played most of your games. I need to, I'm like super intrigued now and I want to go in and like dive into a lot of them. Um, but it's yeah like so would you say it was something like metal gear that that got you thinking about how games can be communic uh, vehicles for you know like communicating about the world and to people about things beyond just what's happening in the system itself yeah i mean that was a that was a big sort of uh watermark i mean so i guess the other thing that was happening to me as i went off into college is that uh you know i was i went i went to a school that had this um uh, independent kind of film theater on campus that was literally sometimes showing two or three different independent and foreign films every night, different mm-hmm. ones all month long. Right. And they had this big poster they'd print out every month. Um, and so, and they were $2 or something like this. Right. Mm-hmm. So like everything that was at Sundance was there and all these things that won cons were there every year. And then they'd sure. go back into back catalog and show classics and different things too. Um, and you could just basically, you know, look at this poster and just circle all this stuff and just be exposed to these really amazing, interesting, crazy, you know, challenging films. Right. Mm. And so, um, I remember, you know, freshman year watching, uh, like even like if I, the film that springs to mind is I, I watched, I think with my friends, I watched the film Brazil. Um, right. and, uh, Gillen, and it was, right? uh, yeah. And it was kind of over my head, I guess, freshman year. And I was uh-huh. like, Oh, this is kind of boring. Or I don't, I don't know. I'm not really that into this. And then I remember watching it senior year. I, I think they, sh- they showed it at, at the theater and, uh, $2 of course. And, and <laughs> it just blew my mind. Right. It was totally engrossing and amazing. Right. And so I just watching myself sort of ma- mature as like a consumer of ideas and content and, and my attention span grow and so on. Um, you know, and so as that was happening to me and the kind of novels that I was reading and the things that I was being exposed to in college, like, you know, okay, now I'm reading Nabokov or I'm reading all this postmodern fiction and some of these classes I was taking and so on. And like my taste was getting more and more sophisticated and I wasn't run and my musical taste was also getting more and more sophisticated. 
I wasn't running out of things that felt like they were valuable to me and made a contribution to my life, right? Hmm. It's not like I maybe I'm not watching Teen Wolf anymore, right? Sure. <laughs> but it's not like I just like I've just brushed off movies. Um, you know, I, I'm no longer listening to you know Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, I think Vanilla Ice is awesome and and so on in retrospect, but it's, it's very simplistic music. You know, there was this stuff I could always kind of keep keep going deeper and, and, and more complex and more sophisticated. And I really, at that point in my life was feeling like games had sort of run aground for me. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, metal gear solid at the time as like a 21 or, you know, a 20 year old or a 19 year old felt like, Oh my gosh, here's a game that's at least worth my time. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if I was, you know, at the time, I was also maybe playing Quake 3 Arena, right, and being good at it, um, mm -hmm. playing, you know, a little bit before that, maybe playing like Red Alert or, you know, some uh, real-time strategy games like Age of Empires or something like that mm -hmm. um, and being good at them, right? But um, I guess I didn't feel like I, – yeah, I, I guess I would just fall down this rabbit hole of just kind of compulsively playing uh, Quake 3 Arena and I didn't feel like – I wasn't really proud of it. Like I wasn't like <laughs> – I wasn't like – uh, this is enriching my life. It was right. like this, you know, just kind of a a way to blow off steam or something. I guess yeah, I'm hard to explain. Did difference. you play? Um, did you play like RT? You played like StarCraft and Warcraft and those. Games I didn't play well? StarCraft, but I was I was more of a what is it Westwood Command Studios or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Command and Conquer and and Red Alert and um and then Age of Empires was like a, a huge thing a little bit later on for me. So I mean, we kind of discovered that. Those like oh, RTS games, I think are easier. Like, cause Quake Three Arena, I agree with you. Like, I, I I totally get. I was super into those games as well, the deathmatch games. But it is easier to be like, okay, these are just kind of like a little bit of a diversion sort of thing. But the RTS games, particularly for me, I mean, I was super into the original StarCraft and the Warcraft Two. Um, but um, when Warcraft Three came out, um, that to me felt that was kind of like my, in some way, in my uh, my Metal Gear Solid Two in that. Yeah, in that it 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 you know they it was kind of a progressive design in some ways like they they really try were trying to push the genre forward in a lot of ways and and you know those RTSs are complex enough um sort of strategically and that that you can kind of like weave this story for yourself that they're they are something worth like really um you know diving into and like making a serious part of your life and being proud of and and so i struggled for many years like uh, with that as like uh as, as a um as a as a as like a calling i guess whether or not something like an rts um was was some was something more than a diversion and you know i i sort of i for i for a very long time really leaned on the direction and i still think that you know strategy games can be and always are um more than just diversions but um yeah i don't know there, there's a there's I've, I've had a big change uh in the last few years even where i'm i'm really seeing the limitations of even the more complex and you know deep uh strategy games uh as compared to games that are a little bit more um you know like art games and uh and story games that are talk about that are based in human experience and and uh, i've been i don't know i i'm sort of throwing a few different ideas at you here but i've i've been uh i've been thinking more i had a few i just had a conversation with naomi clark about how um you know systems um can often be a way to specifically like you can get obsessed with these systems specifically as a way to not interact with the world. Um, 
I don't know if does any of this resonate with you? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, the, the, yeah. There's these two. Okay. So first of all, you know, if you talk about that stuff from early Blizzard, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like you talk about, you know, Warcraft three or whatever. I mean, to me, there's an aesthetic component to those things, and I'm not talking about the aesthetics of, you know, the interactive aesthetics, right? I'm talking about like the actual like surface layer presentation that always, yeah. you know, felt like so. so so uh, flamingly proud of its geek culture heritage right? Right. <laughs> that, That's true. that I just couldn't, you know, to compare that to a movie like Brazil or something, it's just like, you know, what, 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 what are the, what are the orc kind of guys say? Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that even, that even that, that lineage still kind of permeates even up into Hearthstone. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and when I play that game, I just feel kind of embarrassed for myself. I know, I'm 100% with you. Yes, I've never like <laughs> put up a chair. There's all. always room for one more and the fire. Python, like 60 year old comedy. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, I think Monty Python is amazing. I mean, I don't. I'm not embarrassed by Monty Python. There's just something so like tone deaf or something. I guess yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, it fe- um, I mean, it feels like this is a game written by like 55 year old white guys who have just been oh, successful for a really about- long time. But I, I would say, and I've, I've drawn this comparison, and a lot of people disagree with me or whatever. But like, um, you know, it's not just about sort of the the shallow sort of uh, nature of fundamental nature of what these games are like, right? You know, like people, if you look at League of Legends, right, it's kind of about sort of superhero esque characters doing battle on a plane, a plane alternate plane of reality or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that alone, that sort of uh, you know that concept, that high concept or whatever it is, is is not the the main thing I'm finding fault with. I'm finding fault with some, you know, execute like sort of thematic execution details, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, what kinds of actual bits of content do we choose to put in there? What kinds of jokes do we put in there? Um, you know, what kind of attitude does it have? Um, and so I find like a sharp uh, distinction uh, in terms of even if you want to call it sophistication or coolness factor, I don't know what you want to call it between sure. like. Uh, you know, Overwatch and like League of Legends, right? In terms of like even the names of the characters and how much thought goes into well, them. Well, you know what's a really good comparison is Overwatch to TF2 because I feel like the Valve guys, especially the people who made um, uh, TF2, they just had like a taste department and like a cool guy department and like people who knew how to write jokes. So the TF2 comics, for example, um, I thought were like really funny, <laughs> which is like a right. weird thing to say about such a such a product, but. Um, you know, and TF2 is just the art aesthetic of it and everything was very, um, I mean, I have a lot of problems with it, but it, 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 it seemed to me maybe to be a good distinction. In yeah. I mean, I know that I know Overwatch and I, I, I know that Overwatch and League of Legends are totally different games. I'm just saying they both have this sort of champion kind of aspect to them right. and they both have kind of cover art for the champions, but you know, League of Legends chose to do 2d painted cover art for all the champions. And 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 Blizzard choose to do these like standing animated uh, three dimensional kind of mannequins that you see yeah. when you're picking your champion. And when I, and you know if I compare like I was comparing like Hanzo, I think was the guy I was comparing. He's the guy with the bow in Overwatch, right? To Yasuo, right? Who both have this sort of token sort of Asian mystique, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I compare the 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 art of for Yasuo and I showed a non gamer like which one of these is cooler, which one of these is more intriguing, everybody picks Yasuo, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, there's just more. There's something more there. There's more emotion in that so, picture. Something, right? you know. The, the, and so that stuff matters to me somehow. I, you know, even though I'm a game designer, and even though I, can, you know, it's like there's there's still this sort of like I'm a visually aesthetic person. I'm someone who's con- uh, you know a voracious consumer of of all different kinds of mediums, right? And so um, things that 
wouldn't be embarrassing to show someone who's right. like a, a student of other media, right? <laughs> so like, what I'm, right. So what I'm getting is um, you you aren't as concerned maybe with although you tend to make you don't you don't usually make, um, you know, like strategy game games, right? Like typically most of your stuff now, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of your stuff is more along the lines of like uh i don't know what a better term is than art game but like uh some kind of like you're trying to communicate something with interaction um uh well i don't know i mean not really see that's the thing like you you just have heard about my stuff right you haven't actually played it (laughs) i've i've played a few of your games like about three or four of them but you have like Like, 12 like which ones uh well obviously passage Um, okay yeah so you know something from 11 years ago i'm not i'm not faulting you here right but like you know my thinking has changed a lot in 11 years so if you like my 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 current designs, I mean one hour one life is still sort of in this realm, right? But my current also, designs have been very very inside a star filled sky. Very, I also played as well. Yeah, okay. Um, so I mean that's that's a game that's not. I mean that's a game that's very heavily systems focused, right? It's got all this crazy power up systems. It's got like you know these multi, uh, you know sort of. Uh, multi level recursion trees yeah. going down into infinity and all these enemies like you can go down inside the enemies and change them from the inside out and change their abilities in a given tactical situation right and so i think that you know a lot of people just think of me as like you know making these little 5 minute long games that like you know make you say oh and put a tear in your eye right um but i sort of became unsatisfied with that very quickly after making a couple of those games and started thinking I think partly because I was uh, at the time playing a lot of European board games. Okay. Um, you know, that started we have thinking. In common, for sure. Yeah. So start start thinking. You know, really about uh, game design and systems and what we're actually doing when we're playing a game and why we keep playing and, um, you know, my 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 quest at least for a little while there and maybe still to some degree now is like, you know, I want I, I'm trying to design games that are maybe worthy of a lifetime of serious study. Right. Um, at the same time, wedding them with you know aesthetics that are worthy of a lifetime of exp- of, of of serious exper- experience, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> like so, I, I, you know, a game that's you know maybe Hearthstone is maybe worth a lifetime of serious study, but if I have to hear like, uh, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> One more time, it's like you know, come on, guys, no. Or like it's accents. Not, uh, or like the Murlocs. Yeah. <laughs> so and I don't know accents. Well, you don't yeah, think accents back. are funny. Uh, you know, I mean, one hour one life is. I mean, it's clearly a game that you know people could play forever. I mean, there are people who played a thousand hours already, and it's only been out you know seven months or whatever. Hmm. But um, but but there's a way not, that like that both that yeah, I which I I have competitive. Played, but, well, yeah, but it's also like um, and I wonder if this is just actually showing my own bias, but it seems like. There's something about all of your games. I've researched all of your games, um, and it seems like, and, and maybe this is just a matter of like aesthetic, like um, approach. But it seems like a lot of your games, even when they are highly systemic, like Inside of Star Filled Sky, it feels like they are. Um, I don't know. There, it feels like there's they're going for um, a. They're going. I I don't know another way to put this other than they're going for like getting Frank Lance to say something cool about them. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Which is a compliment because Frank is like a designer's designer, though, right? I mean, right, exactly. Um, so I guess I mean, there's a there's a conceptual there's a there's a conceptual uh you know aspect to all of them, right? I mean, inside Starfield Sky is you know and an aesthetic aspect to all of them, right? It's so it's. 
it's meant to give you the feeling of grappling with infinity, right? right. And, and, and feeling lost in the face of how big something really is sure. uh, by, by sticking you in the middle of that. Um, you know, and I would say, you know, Katamari Damashi uh, also, you know, might have made, I don't know if intentionally or, or just sort of accidentally has that as one of his aesthetic properties, right? Mm-hmm. Like as you in the final level of the first game, I think you're building the moon or whatever the biggest thing is. And you start off literally picking up little bits of garbage under a table and end up eventually picking up the whole like continent <laughs> that right. the, the town was on. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that feeling of scale and so on, uh, you know, uh, gives you this certain aesthetic feeling that you can't put into words exactly. I, right. I think also part of the aesthetic is that these, your games, none of your games feel like they're designed to be commercial products in the way that so many games do. Um, and it, it feels more, and I don't know if that's what that's a product of. I mean, these are all commercial products. You do. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's another thing I want to get into is like highly the, successful commercial product. <laughs> Well, I do want to talk about that. I want to talk about like the life of an indie game developer because I feel like you're also rare in that, you know, you've been around for a while, you've been doing this for a while and you're not um, you know, you're not the you didn't quit and and just start working for some AAA company, but you also um you also haven't like aren't on the top of the world. And so you're you're you are a legitimate indie developer and you right. are one of the few that I guess you make a living doing this, yeah? Yes, I guess at this point it would be considered a modest living. Right. <laughs> but I do have right. a spouse and three children and, you know, I mean it's 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 weird, right? Because it, you know, when you make games for a living, you do work for like in the case of 1 Hour 1 Life, it was 3 years of unpaid work, right? Mm. Um and so you know, and then all of a sudden all all this money comes in when the game is finally released, but that's money that if you actually spread it out over the past 3 years is not that much money all things right. considered, right? But, you know, there are moments in time where we have way more in our bank account than anybody we know, (laughs) you know, because most people that we know are kind of living paycheck to paycheck for the most part. Right. They all have mortgages. They all have two cars. They all have, you know, all these different expenses and all this kind of stuff. And when some little thing happens, like, you know, one of the cars breaks down, it's this big financial emergency. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of operating in a totally different thing. Like we had to learn how to save our money, how to like spread it out over years. Right. How Uh to budget and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so therefore we live this very – most of the time this very frugal and very kind of poor lifestyle, right? Because we're like our money needs to last. We don't know how long it's going to take to develop the next game. We don't even know if it's – like I've had a game that was a commercial flop in the middle of my career, right? Like one uh, Cordial Minuet, which came out after uh, The Castle Doctrine and before One Hour One Life was this totally risky, crazy like gambling game, right? Like people can only play for real money and I'm taking a rake. Um, and you know that kind of game only will – be commercially successful if like millions of people play it right and it didn't right. take off in that way right i mean there was you know 70 i think over seventy five thousand dollars total were wagered in the game over its lifetime right so it was not a trivial amount of money passing through it but when you're only taking this little like five percent rake or whatever <laughs> so um so so but anyway yeah, yeah. so I, I i can have a failure like that and we need to be able to weather that right so right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've got loads of friends who are multimillionaires, right. Who have like, but gone down the same path as me and, and, you know, made some game, you know, that was some kind of gigantic hit. Um, and I am not one of those people. Right. So, yeah. uh, And I mean, most people are not one of those people. That's the other interesting thing is that like, um, you know, you, you mentioned that you had, you consider one of your games to have been a financial flop. Would you say or or well, I mean, it literally lost money because I spent money on a penny arcade booth and other stuff for it. And it didn't, you know, I, I think I lost something like 
like you know fourteen thousand dollars on it because right. of the, the money I spent promoting it and doing booths and prizes. Well, and that's and not stuff, counting so. all the time you spend actually working on it, right? Like, no, no, I, I didn't pay myself during that time. I'm just saying, literally out of our bank account, right. separate from living expenses and so on, there was a fourteen thousand dollars worth of outlay that never came gotcha. back. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, but like, and but I think the reality is, and I'm I'm curious if you've been like, um, if you have an opinion on this whole like indie apocalypse uh, narrative. But the I think that. For a lot of people, it sort of feels like it's very hard to ever have something that isn't a total flop. Like everything is a flop. And I don't know. I think maybe I'm, I would predict that your reaction would be like, they just haven't been at it long enough uh, or, or something like that. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I made feel? a post on Reddit about, uh, you know, maybe six or eight months ago um, that got a little bit of traction, right? Which is basically like, you know, I, I didn't make any money until my 14th game. So if you're quitting after your first or second failure, you're doing it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 14 games, dude. 14 games. <laughs> I tried a bunch of different things. I tried making these little sketches for the escapist for $200 a pop. I tried, you know, doing consulting work. I tried doing this. I tried doing that. I tried putting games on the iPhone. None of them made any money, you know. And yeah. so it's it's like and the whole time I was making a name for myself, right? And like people were like, oh, this game. Oh, you made another game and it's pretty cool. And you made another game. You know, so when I finally – had a game that had commercial, and you know, most of the games I made early on had no commercial potential because, you know, people, um, and, and 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 I don't know, not too many people. It's not like everyone's making this mistake. I don't think you're making this mistake, but um, you know, pe- people um, value games in a very particular way, right? And you know, it's like it's like the way you value a pair of pants is you pick it up, and if I was going to charge you, you know, three hundred dollars for a pair of pants, and you picked it up, and it was like only had one little piece of stitching in it or something. And it just didn't uh-huh. feel like it. people had spent much time on it. You'd be like, these aren't worth $300. Right. <laughs> they're barely holding, they're barely holding together here. So, um, and so, you know, uh, uh, when people, even when I tried to charge 99 cents for passage on the app store, right. That's a hard value. You know, even though of course 99 cents for five minutes or whatever. And it's a, going to give you this experience, but people uh-huh. don't value games that way. Right. So it didn't, I mean, maybe passage brought in a total of $3,000 in its history on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think um, figuring out what it means for a game to be commercially viable and 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 using that as one of your design constraints is is really important. And the thing that a lot of people don't really want to do, or sure. also just looking at what kinds of games people like to play and figure mm-hmm. and using that as one of your design constraints. I, I will I will definitely cop to both of those as as uh, weaknesses of my own for sure. But I'm 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 curious if you think things have changed for in the last 10 years because i feel like 2008 was it was just to me it seems and feels from my experience like it was a really different uh atmosphere if you're out there making games um so my my first my first commercially successful game was sleep sleep is death right it's this two-player storytelling uh kind of collaborative game where one person is kind of like the dungeon master and controlling the entire world and you play the main Mm -hmm. character in the story um, a little 2D game with speech bubbles and all this kind of stuff where each person has 30 seconds to make a turn and decide what they're going to do next. Um, you know, that game came out in 2010. Uh, uh, I put it up on my own website. It sold pretty well on there. Um, I mean, to this day, I think it has sold over $100,000 worth on my website, right? Um, uh, back at the, at the time, it sold like, you know, thirty, forty, fifty $50,000, something like that. Um, I tried to put it on Steam and Steam just said no. Right. Like there was no green light. There was no Steam Direct. You know, there, Steam was literally hand curating every single game that went on their platform. Right. They were releasing less than one game a day. <laughs> sure. Um, and so uh, 
even to get them to email me back, I had to, I think, you know, maybe talk to Edmund McMillan and a couple of people I knew who had games on Steam or what. You know, I had to talk yeah, to some yeah, people yeah, I knew, I maybe Terry, Car- Terry Kavanaugh or somebody helped me get in touch with somebody at Steam. Um, and, and at one point, Steam even emailed me out of the blue after maybe having rejected the game and say, oh, we actually really want this game. And then, you know, we started going through that process and then they stopped emailing me. And then like six months later, I finally heard that they didn't want the game anymore. Right. So that's what it was like. Uh, so, you know, here I, here I was making money with a game off of steam to me, a substantial amount of money at the time. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, uh, but people were making, you know, bucket loads of money on steam and I wasn't allowed. I mean, it just wasn't even an option. Right. Um, for inside a Starfield sky, which did eventually get on steam, I pretty much had to beg them and they finally agreed to let it on, uh, for the castle doctrine. I think they initially said, even after I had, you know, inside a Starfield sky did reasonably well on steam. Um, the Castle Doctrine, which had a lot of buzz around it and everything, they were like, just put it on green light. And I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, you know, don't I have a track record, track record yet? I mean, this is like my 15th game. And, you know, I, I've got all this stuff, all the stuff has gone on, you know, around my career and so on. You're still going to tell me to put my game on green light instead of just letting it through. Well, and they were like, okay. Yeah. They were like, okay, you're right. You can put it on Steam. <laughs> you know, so it's like, even at that point, it was still. You know, like a very kind of narrow. It's hard to period. get on Steam. Yeah, and so the idea that there's an indie apocalypse now because everyone can get on Steam, I don't know. I mean, well, it's th- just, that is I, a two-edged, a double-edged sword because, like, on the on the one hand, the fact that it was so hard to get on Steam back then also meant that getting on Steam meant something. <laughs> Whereas now, yes, anyone can put a game on Steam, and it also changes the def like what it means to have a game on Steam, doesn't it? Yeah, no, just having a game on Steam by itself is, you know, not not worth anything on its own anymore, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. on the other hand, the audience on Steam has grown. I don't have a game on Steam. I, mean, I have The Castle Doctrine is still on Steam and it's still for the sky. I'm gearing up to put one hour on life on Steam. It's been off Steam for seven months. And I for a long time I thought, you know, like what you're saying, basically like yeah, there's not any value anymore. They're still taking 30%, but what, um, you know, like – the old days where you had to be on Steam, that's not true anymore, clearly, because, mm. you know, there's a bunch of games on Steam that literally have completely flopped. I have friends who have, you know, big games they spent many years on that put on Steam. They were indie darlings. And when they finally came out on Steam, it flopped, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, huh. Well, but for the games that are successful on Steam, that catch on on Steam, the ceiling is so much higher than it ever used to be that it's insane, right? Right. I mean, you know, you have to realize that a game like Don't Starve you know, has made like $50 million. <laughs> right. A game like Rust has made $100 million. Yeah. Um, you know, and and even some smaller kind of like, I, I mean, like Factorio, you know, Factorio is like $25, $30 million, right? It's mm-hmm. like a small team. You know, so like that, we're, we used to be kind of like amazed at the idea that Braid, you know, made $5 million, right? Um, and so for the right kinds of games on steam, the ceiling is so much higher that it doesn't like the idea that it's crowded and there are 86 games released a day or whatever. It doesn't really, um, well, the, the hits hit harder. Uh, I think the audience is still there. That's where the audience is, right? The audience is not anywhere else. I mean, I, Hmm. I have like, you know, a mailing list of 23,000 people and, you know, enough previous fans of my previous games. And 
you know, a very sort of marketable concept in one hour, one life that just like catches on and people make videos about it. I mean, there've been like, you know, 30,000 videos made about one hour, one life in the past seven months. Right. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's a very, like the idea of being born as a baby to another player and seeing this crying baby and having to take care of another player as your baby is just so like appealing to people. And the trailer I made is so catchy or whatever that it just kind of sold itself for a while. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and that I could build, but you know, again, this is on the back of 18 other games, right. And, uh, and you know, 15 year career. So I'm in this position where, yes, like I could, you know, make a viable living off of Steam um, and and it doesn't like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's not a necessity for me. Right. But um, I don't know. There's there's not like for somebody who doesn't have that. Right. Who doesn't have the mailing list of twenty three thousand people who doesn't have, you know, it's like where is it going to catch on? Like, how are people going to come to your website? Like how are, you know, so, so there's a, there's a virality to steam that still exists and it's still possible there where like uh, a group of people who love and play your game kind of spin it up. Right. Um, but I think it still depends on the type of, I mean, like I would think like, I was surprised that, you know, you're familiar, I'm sure with, uh, Daniel Ben Mergi's game. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, uh, Fidel dungeon rescue. Yes. Yeah. So very, (laughs) this is a Keith Brigun type of game, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. And uh, and it's really good. Like, really, really good. I mean, I would say it's probably one of the best games I played all year or whatever, right? Um, and, you know, there were a couple little problems with it that annoyed some people with the ghost or whatever. But, you know, he's kind of ironed it out and is taking the design really seriously. Um, and, you know, the game, it didn't take off on Steam. And, you know, and it got very positive reviews on Steam. But that just wasn't enough. You know, what? And, you know, when I... When I try to figure out why, like I really am trying to study these things, right? Because this sure. is important for, you know, like, like I don't want to, you know, we, none of us want to be making these mistakes. Yeah. Um, whenever I've showed the game to friends, even friends I know would love the game, they're always like, that game doesn't look, it looks dumb. <laughs> like I had literally had a couple of people say it looks dumb. Huh. Um, you know, and like, so that's still important, right? Curb appeal is still important. Um, you know, once you get into that game, it's super charming, really amazing, like and mysterious feeling and whatever. But also the trailer has this like jumpy disco music to it. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't give you any, any kind of mood. And then so people are like, I don't want to play a game about a dog running around on a grid. You know, yeah. like uh, so thematics matter, like the feeling that your game has matters. Um, you know, maybe a slightly different trailer and that game would have been a hit. Right. It's like, yeah. Uh, so it's it's really interesting how and there was a um, a guy uh, that you know was super Castle Doctrine big Castle Doctrine fan has played a lot of my other games super big Cordial Minuet guy and I was like dude and he made he made his own roguelike and everything I was like dude you're gonna love this game you have to play it and I had to email him a few times over a course of a couple of weeks before I finally begrudgingly got it and then it was like you know to tell you the truth I I didn't when I took a look at it I just didn't want to get it you know but then I played it and it was amazing dude it was amazing right. <laughs> So I don't know. It's uh, yeah, uh, figuring all of that kind of stuff out is hard, right? It's not. Uh, I don't. I don't have. A, I don't have a formula, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think all that stuff. I, I mean, I I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I I think that you know the question, and maybe it's not a useful question to ask, but you know, I think the question is, all that stuff that you're saying has always been true and probably will always be true of uh, anytime anyone is making any art and putting it out in the world uh, and they want, you know, commercial success with it. Um, But the, but the question is like, are there things about the ecosystem, about the atmosphere, about the way that we do things? And this may point to broader questions about the internet and uh, you know, how social media works and all sorts of things that, that, um, that make it like 
that make it so that everything is um like too every it's like a flat line for too many and then just like ridiculous amounts of <laughs> um success for too few uh yeah i mean it's tempting to uh, you know so in the apocalypse you know let's go back to that point again right is this something that happened you know is it you know i so what actually happened and why people i think actually proclaim this apocalypse is that the kinds of independent games that were successful five years ago are no longer successful right um yeah and so the the kind of like single player uh platformy type games or kind of like single systemic twist on some existing genre type games that have like an interesting aesthetic to them um games that you can finish in a few hours or five hours or even 10 hours, right? Like the walking simulator type games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these things were like these huge hits, you know, five years ago, six, seven, eight years ago. Right. Um, and you know, these sort of milestones, this is the model. This is like, you know, these are the kinds of games that indies make, right. Um, those games are not huge hits anymore. Right. And so, um, you know, a lush storytelling game with all these voice actors and all this kind of stuff, you know, is not, people don't want those games anymore. That's not like where everybody is who's playing games. And so to anybody who's kind of in that model, like this is the types of games that we make. This is what indie means. This is like the indie industry. Like some of those people are making games that are flopping, right? And they're, Mm -hmm. they're big names, right? These are like superstars, some of them, (laughs) you know, or people who had like pedigrees from all these other big successful independent projects, or even some of them had triple A projects, right? And those kinds of games are just not taking off, right? There's just not enough people who are playing those. And, you know, what are the things that are actually um, consuming most of the, the eyeballs and the playtime and whatever, right? Um, you know, League of Legends, right? Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that independent people should go and try and make League of Legends. I mean, 5v5 squad-based multiplayer games require a huge um, critical mass, right, to even function. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, multiplayer in general, if you look at the top of Steam's list is pretty much what's there, right? Hmm. And so people are, you know, very compelled by multiplayer experiences and sort of dip in, dip out, kind of crazy interesting things happening all the time, constantly changing, new content being updated and, and new and the world is changing and and the kinds of things they're gonna experience are changing. Um, you know, like Rust and these kinds of games, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um you know, indies and the the old guard of independent game industry thinking is just kind of ignored that, you know, and not, you know, adapted to it. And then they put out, you know, we all slap our foreheads when some game that had Sting doing the voice acting didn't succeed, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying, you know, I thought that game, the game, you know, was like, you know, covered everywhere. Every you know uh, game outlet reviewed it and talked about it, and and there was a it was a very hyped kind of release, and it was sort of on the cutting edge of what you know interactive narrative games or or, or narrative games in general should be, right? Um, and and yet it, you know, still was not successful, right? And but, so yeah, uh, I mean, but what about the people who who like? I get the idea that like we have these successful people and they make these things and and they're working with this old model. But what about like? I just feel like um the 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 the, the average indie who do, who ad, doesn't have any kind of like rock star status, never had any big hit or anything like that behind them and they're just making i mean probably a large assortment of things and the what i understand is that 
um it's just it's really hard it's harder now to just break through and get like something going um now than it was 10 years ago and and i think well, you're <laughs> well is it that. though i mean when, yeah. is it i don't know i mean I, how hard was it to break through break through what right that's like you know when i first made my first game almost no one was making games mm-hmm. <laughs> like i mean tra- you know i made transcend and a bunch of websites covered it because well, there's nothing so else to talk about right i, I mean can, it's like so so that, me i mean the, yeah yeah i mean that's that's that, obviously that's you know the, as more and more people make games and yes i guess there's you know there's going to be more and more you know if if we say like you know let's say that you know uh, 50% of everybody who makes a game does not have a success right then there's going to be more people not having success now than we're not having success back then right cuz right. there's just more people right sure that's true um, yeah, no, I, I, it just seemed like a different time. Uh, it, you know, the, the beginning of the iPhone when there was like, I, I, you know, cause like I'm the first real commercial game that I made was, uh, this, uh, roguelike called a hundred rogues. And it was like, there was like very little special about it. Uh, it was just like this functional roguelike basically. And I guess, you know, roguelikes maybe were kind of new and novel. I suppose that could be part of the argument, but like it did pretty well compared to anything else I've done since then. And that and, was on the iPhone. Yeah. When in when in the early days of the iPhone, when there wasn't a lot, like it was, you know, it was just it, it just felt like a different ecosystem. Uh, well, yeah, me. I mean, it's it's just blue ocean strategy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so uh, like, you know, on the iPhone, I remember back in the day, like these big hit games. Oh my gosh, you guys made how much? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> right? <laughs> For like, you know. Uh, I don't know, like, you know, the sword and sorcery EP or something. I'm, I'm sure they made more than that now, but you know, back then it was like around that level, right? Oh, we mm-hmm. made, you know, $300,000. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I mean, it's just really hard to, to compare these things at all. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've tried to like hone in on something that, that works, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I've tried to give some, some people, you know, I've had friends also who were like jumping on the free, free to play bandwagon or making Facebook game type things or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and I was just like, I don't think that's going to work for independent people. Right. Like right. the, the way the free to play works is that you have an audience of like, you know, several million people and you get 1% of them to spend money and then that's enough. Right. Yeah. So that model is just not, I mean, you're not going to have an audience of several million people for this game, yeah. dude. Like it's not going to work. Um, uh, iPhone games as well after about like 2009 or 2010, you know, of like, if that's your business plan, that's like not a very good one. Hmm. Um, because the price is like hitting, you know, there's a race to the bottom on price and plus almost everything's free to play on that platform. Um, so then it kind of became like, you know, PC games or maybe releasing things on consoles with some kind of special deal with a console was like still the only real viable way to, you know, have some chance of making money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just a total crazy lottery ticket. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess I still think that that's pretty much the case. Right. Um, and I wouldn't recommend somebody go make a free to play game or wouldn't recommend really that somebody, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, it, Zach Gage makes a very healthy living on iPhone game on free to play iPhone games somehow. <laughs> um, so there's still people doing that. I mean, it's like when I talk to him, I'm like, I just can't, I don't understand Zach. I mean, I know if I put a game out on iPhone, it would not be successful. <laughs> like I just know it. Right. Like, right. Um, like how are you doing it? And he's like, well, I, get press in places in non-game press you know i get like the wall street journal to write about my chess game or something yeah and everybody who reads the wall street journal has iphones and they're willing to install a free game and then they a lot of them like it and then a lot of them are willing to buy the uh pro version right 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, so, so, so for- that sort of model is a totally different. I mean, he's not like his games are totally off the radar of anybody who actually plays games or like thinks of, you know, like the audience of people who are playing games regularly. Right. And like mm-hmm. games are a big part of their life. That's not who's playing Zach's games on the iPhone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so but he doesn't want he doesn't want to to pander to those people. Right. He doesn't he doesn't care about the people who spend all weekend playing Rust. <laughs> um, he wants to connect to ordinary people. Right. People on the bus and whatever. And yeah. uh but at the same time, you know, he's sort of capping. He's he's never gonna he's never gonna have you know uh, a fifty million dollar game, right? So it's 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 interesting to think about these these parameters and like what like the possibility spaces are on all these different platforms and um, yeah, and also where where the openings are for people who are just getting started. Um, and you know, I, I I often give people advice like make a bunch of free games. Like you don't even know what you like. If you're getting started as a game designer, you don't even know what you're doing, right? Like you're not you're not a good game designer now. Are you kidding me? I'm not a good game designer. I've made 19 games. <laughs> like your game, your first game is probably not going to be very good. Like mm-hmm. uh, why are you, you? Everyone's like, I gotta you know figure out how to price my first game out. Like no one's gonna buy that. Like <laughs> unless you're, I mean, like maybe you're you're, you're Mozart, right? And you just are just blessed, right? Or you but, just get uh, lucky, right? I mean, there is some amount of like maybe just something about your theme just really connects with people, or maybe I don't know, maybe you have a connection, or maybe some I, you know, there's just like freak things that happen. I, I I'm a little well, bit Minecraft was the guy's the... first game for the first for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, yes, it is possible, but I mean, like you know, in general, if that's your plan, and I've right. seen people's first games that they're trying to do that with, I'm like, dude, this game is probably not going to be a huge hit. Like, right. just what you know. Who do you think? But basically, who do you think you are that you? So, why do you? Why are you so confident in yourself? You don't think this is going to take work, or you don't think this is going to take like you know getting better at this and studying this and really tackling this problem? You think it's an easy problem? You think anybody can just roll out of bed and make uh, an amazing game that's a huge hit? Like that's that's you know it's like no, it's 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 a difficult path, right? It's right. not. Um, I think I think what the, a lot of those people are probably complaining about, and 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 I don't know if you read that article recently about the game design the game indie game apocalypse but you know one of the issues is that like it's not that they're not making uh, you know 50 million dollars and it's not that they're make not making two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but it's that they're making like zero and like they're right. literally making like zero like they're they're just they're, it's as as though their game did not even exist or like less than five hundred dollars um and you know I, I i mean i can say that's 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 kind of uh it seems to me like that is kind of maybe an issue. And, and of course we can always say it's so easy when games fail to kind of create explanations for why they've failed. Um, and the other way around, and it's not to say that they're not legitimate. It's just to say that it's like, you know, yeah, we, we can take that approach and, and, and that's not false. It's just, there's another, there is another angle, I guess, to this whole question of, 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 uh, of the world. And, and I guess maybe your argument might be that like, it's not super useful to think about like, uh, how things are structured, uh, in a way that's, that's, that's sort of flattening for the vast majority of people, even new, like, I feel like making a game at all is kind of a miracle. Like if you actually really put together a game and it's not just like some, you cram together some, you know, like demo of a thing, but it's an, it's a real game. If you've made a game, I, I feel like that's, that's 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 somewhat um you know that is somewhat special and there were 86 miracles released on steam yesterday you know i don't know what do you want to say like well, yeah okay it is hard yeah, it is hard yeah. but so is every i mean it's like is making a film a miracle i mean the vast majority of films are not successful i mean it's just like yeah. vast majority of novels have you ever written a novel i never have it's a lot of probably a lot of crazy work right sure i mean like is, yeah. i wouldn't expect if i wrote a novel for it to be successful hmm. 
like that would not be the, you know, like what, maybe I would think that maybe I could somehow leverage some of my connections that I've made through video games to get the novel in front of yeah, somebody. Yeah. Maybe. But even so, then, I wouldn't expect it to be successful, right? It's just like, right. why do we expect, you know, why do we expect our games to? And, and and the idea that there's no middle is also, I think, false, right? I, mm. I, uh, you know, games that haven't made that have have not made five hundred, but have not made millions of dollars are like mine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even even one hour, one life, you know, that hasn't been on Steam yet, but off Steam has not made millions of dollars, and it has not made five dollars. It's made. Mm-hmm you know, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a decent amount of money given my time investment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, a game like spy party, right. Just, you know, was released on steam within the last four or five months. Um, did not make millions of dollars on steam, but, you know, brought in a healthy amount of money for Chris, uh, you know, who's been working on this game for like, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years now or whatever. Right. Um, you know, so, and, and put a, like gave the game a new lease on life to keep working, you know, to keep developing it and keep paying the artists and so on. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's like, is it, uh, the, are there smaller scale successes on steam? I think that's absolutely still the case. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. did we, did we have a world where a bunch of little <laughs> independent games came out and, 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 and made each made, you know, 50 or $60,000. Like, I don't, I don't think that world ever really existed. Right. I mean, there were a few of them that did, but there, you know, there just weren't. I, I, I don't know. The idea that there's there's a market for an endless supply of 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 sort of some smaller scale games that don't have that crazy ins- inspiring concepts that are really going to catch on. That you know are just kind of little labors of love that are going to find a small audience. I don't know. I mean, like what? Yeah, like, yeah. Why do we believe that 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 should exist or something? I I don't know. I I, then, I well, it's the fact that I mean, it's the fact that it's not always been exactly the same that makes me feel like. <laughs> Um, you know, like it has changed a little bit. I do think it was a li- there was more of a middle, um, 10 years ago. I-, I do kind of think that. And, and even if just slightly, that makes me think like, well, is there something we could be doing that would increase the amount of middle, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe slightly diminish the, like the, the amount that Fortnite is making right now. Um, you know, <laughs> like, um, Hey, Fortnite is free. I don't know. I've never paid a, a single penny for it. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, I haven't got any of my money. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Me neither, actually. Um, no, but I'm saying it's just like so. It's it's so you know kind of a, a weird thing to be thinking about, right? Like, why is you know how did Fortnite become? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I the idea of thinking about you know thinking about these systems and trying to change them. I don't know. I mean, it just feels like you know like a, a fool's errand, I guess, to some degree, mm-hmm. because you know like. Every every individual creator should be like trying to figure out how to get better at what they're doing and yeah. you know figure out how to solve this problem in their own way, right? Sure. Um, and there are going to be some who don't solve it, but I think uh, that m- that sort of by by definition, in a way, that most of those that don't solve it in the long runs are the ones that give up. Yeah. And 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 I say that sort of by definition because just the way things tend to work out, that people you know, there's a certain fraction of people give up, but you know, if if all of them didn't give up, obviously all of them, <laughs> all of them wouldn't make it, right? So it's right. like, you know, if, if we say like, oh, look at this group of people, like half of them are going to give up in five years. And you said, what if those those people uh, didn't give up in five years, right? What if all of them stuck with it, right? Um, 
then that would just turn it from a five-year game into a 10-year game, right? And we'd be talking about which ones of those are going to give up in 10 years. Right. And that would just turn it into a 20-year game and so on until you get to the point where, like, who, which ones are going to live the longest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are the ones that are, are finally going to make – you know, so – because there is – you know, there's a limited uh, – the attention of the audience is a limited resource, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea that we're going to suddenly, like – you know, make more of it out of thin air. It's like the idea that um, people act like, you know, somehow like printing more money is going to make people less poor. Right. Um, you know, or like it's, it's not money. Isn't, you know, money is not the, not even a resource, right. It's just this sort of measure of value and medium of, of trade and exchange, right. The, the underlying resources are of fixed quantities, which is what makes them valuable and scarce, right. Like you can't just make new food out of thin air by printing more money, right. Like mm -hmm. you, if you, if you just print more money, like just the price of food is going to rise. That's all that's going to happen. The same people who were eating food before are going to continue eating it. And the same people who didn't have enough food are still going to not have enough of it. Um, it's just, it's all going to be more expensive. Right. And so the idea that somehow we can, we can uh, – I guess basically what you're saying is that we need to divert audience attention away from Fortnite somehow. It, I mean, you, yeah. You, you don't yeah. just want to divert the money and let people not – like buy these games and not play them <laughs> and then keep playing the things that they want to play, which are Fortnite and, and, and League of Legends and Rust and Overwatch and whatever, Hearthstone, um, Team Fortress 2, Dota, you know, um, or Raft, or you know, or or Factorio, or Don't Starve, or whatever, right? Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. that it's not that we just want to divert the money away. I mean, the money's not going to naturally get diverted away unless the audience's attention is diverted well, away. That, that is, I meant the attention. That is what. Yeah. I meant. So, so um, then you then you need to figure out how to convince people to play things they don't want to play. <laughs> right. Like, or things they didn't know they wanted to play. Things like, I'm, yeah. you know, and I'm I'm a. I'm 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 part of that that camp of those people, right? It's like there's a lot of games I don't want to play. Oh sure, yeah. And, and, and you know, it's just like I don't want to. Um, I maybe can guilt myself into playing them, but at the end of the day, it's like I just really don't want to. I don't want to play this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to play this. I just really don't. don't yeah, it's indie, and I want to support it or whatever, but I don't want to play this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so what do I want to play? Well, you know, I'm still even. Uh, you know, like right now, like if I just had a bunch of free time, which I don't. Like, I think, you know, the first thing on my list would probably be go play a few rounds of Fortnite to tell you the truth. <laughs> Interesting. I was going to ask. I, I still have a bug in my brain about a game because I haven't got I haven't gotten to play it enough. Right. And I sort of feel like mm -hmm. I could still I still have a long way to go in getting better at it. And there's something kind of compelling about it. And and, you know, I'm addicted to it a little bit, even though I never really got to scratch that itch. I never got sick of it because I barely have played it, mm -hmm. um, you know, but like, you know, in the back of my mind, like, the, oh, wouldn't it be great to kick back my feet and do what? If I had a spare moment, what? Well, oh, it'd be so great to just play a few rounds of Fortnite. Mm, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just can't yeah. let myself because I've got work to do and kids to deal with, and then you know everything else. But um, you know, is it? Do I want to go kick? Do I want to go play some? You know, weird indie. You know, weird indie game. Probably not, actually. <laughs> right. Right. No. I. I, I mean, I. Do I want to go comb steam for the, the game that needs some love? No. Do I even want, even as much as I love Fidel, do I want to go? And I mean, he's added a bunch of stuff and a bunch of new level types and a bunch of new types of puzzles and, and different modes. Mm -hmm. I haven't, I've never finished Fidel because he's added more stuff to it. Do I want to go finish it? Not really. 
<laughs> yeah, like no, I, I have a really extreme case of that, actually. I, I just generally just don't play games, period. I, I have to, like, force myself to play games, and it's mostly just to, like, as research, to, like, know what the conversation is, what people are, are engaging with, and, uh, and yeah, I, I can't, it's been a while since I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to play blankety blank, you know? Well, um, so, Keith, if you want to solve this quote-unquote systemic problem, you start by taking Michael Jackson's advice <laughs> and looking at the man in the mirror. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know. I, I guess I feel like, yeah, there's a temptation to sort of, I don't know, dress this up as some sort of political problem, I guess, or something in a way, right? Like that we, but I, I feel like it's just sort of the nature of, you know, creative doing work. creative work and doing things that are you know require other people's attention in order to function right and so sure. um you know it's it's that's going to be a competitive space right in some ways and and there's not really any way around it and i don't think it should be any other way right because people's attention is so valuable um and so precious and we're talking about you know moments of their lives that they're not spending doing something else <laughs> like living real life uh, you know that we're going to be sitting here saying that we need to somehow you know dictate or shape that that those choices that they're making in that but, in that context but we i mean are it's, it's, dictating and shaping it that's the thing like i we have this like false myth that like uh that twitter is just like the nature of the universe but it's like or that steam is just the natural law it's the free market but it's like no steam was designed by people and you know and and there are like we are we are dictating what is getting attention and what is not getting. and granted you know there's algorithms and stuff like that it's not like there's some human sitting there saying like oh i want this game to succeed and this game to fail but it's rather that <laughs> well, you know Fortnite, Fortnite, and league of legends aren't on steam right so it's well like... yeah but you get my <laughs> point like it's 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 systemic it's it's everywhere it's it's i just think we can over believe you're right i'm not disagreeing with you i mean is about... the league of legends is the league of legends sort of by definition an, ind an independent game I mean, yeah, it's certainly when it started out, right? I mean, no, I but it's so. its own thing. It's like these guys made a company out of nothing. These like two college friends or whatever, and like grew oh, this, sure. this, you know. And so it's it still has never been bought by a big like you know third party publisher of any kind. You know, it's not part of AAA. I wouldn't call it a AAA game, right? Um, you know, it's it's not being sold at GameStop. It's not on Steam. Wait, it did it's get not, bought actually. It got bought by, by it's been Tencent bought? or something. Yeah. Riot thought, is owned by something else? I believe so. I thought like Tencent bought them or something. I have to look it up. I don't even but... know what Tencent is. <laughs> That's the guy. Yeah, they make Some all Chinese the... company, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um... So, uh, yeah, okay. Maybe they've been bought. Okay, that's, yeah. But, I mean, you know, histo and, and is Tencent not indie? Maybe it's an indie acquisition. Oh, no. That's the, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I feel like... These these lines are are much blurrier than uh, people think they are to some degree I think and yeah. and um and it's it's a it's a big kind of messy picture that no one really has a handle on and you know why you know I, even if we want to discuss like why battle royale took off and then you know why PUBG which was the the juggernaut there bungled it right if they did um. And, you know, whether Fortnite stole their idea and why that I, that one idea is so, um, you know, sort of relevant to so many people right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And like and and, you know, what are the, the, the historical factors and the sort of confluence of different things that, you know, you know, widespread broadband Internet combined with, you know, this and that other thing combined with mm -hmm. Twitch combined with, you know, you know, YouTube ability and all these other kinds of, I mean, yeah, Twitch and YouTube ability and. 
Um, I mean, I, I guess that's okay. So that's another huge thing that I think that almost everybody uh, who's making games today needs to think about, right? It's just like how good of videos or YouTube type things or Twitch, how entertaining is your game hmm. to watch? Because that's the primary way that people learn about games today. Right. Um, the old guard of like game journalism is for the most part, you know, is a non-factor. Hmm. Um, they don't, a lot of those websites don't really write about new games anymore anyway, right? Like trying to get Kotaku to cover some independent game is pretty much impossible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they didn't, you know, I've been making games for 15 years and they've covered multiple, they've given multiple stories to every single one of my games since passage, right? For the most part, right? Um, uh, they didn't cover the release of one hour one life, even though it's, you know, obviously, you know, my, my, my biggest and most appealing and most interesting, probably my most interesting game. Right. Um, you know, it's just like they didn't – I couldn't get them to write back to me. They're too busy doing other stuff and it's just right. not priority for them, right? And so like One Hour, One Life, when it came out, literally got two or three news stories. <laughs> like previous games like The Castle Doctrine got like 25, right? Every single website covered that its release and the contest around it and everything else. Right. You know, even Cordial Minuet, the strange demonic gambling game, got tons of stories and coverage. Um, including like a – it was like a 15-page long story on Kotaku, right? Wow. Uh, so, you know, it's it's like that. So games journalism is a non-factor. Uh, how are people finding out about games? I don't think Twitch is really a factor anymore. I mean, not Twitch. Twitter is really that big of a factor anymore. It used to be. Like Twitter used to drive traffic like crazy. People don't retweet anymore, hmm. um, as far as I can tell, as much. You know, like the old days of like some kind of cool announcement getting retweeted hundreds of times. You know, it still happens to a certain degree, but not like it used to. Most people just like your tweet which i guess doesn't really help that much yeah. um so the ability to like a tweet as opposed to retweet it when retweeting used to be the only way to show that you were behind something um and so twitter doesn't drive traffic the way that it used to and uh, it seems like you know people go online and want to see a video of your game right like this is like youtube generation and everyone like you know when i want to look something up like i often these days go and look it up on youtube like yeah you know, to see a video about like, oh, different types of fencing, right? Like my mm -hmm. kids are taking fencing and like, what's the difference between epee, foil and saber? Sure. Like I could go read about that in Wikipedia and try and piece it together. But if I can watch a video of people doing the three different styles, like it's like crystal clear. And like there's yeah. a video even explaining those three things, right? In five minutes. So like if I want to see what some game is like, you know, I'm going to go look at it on YouTube and then of course Twitch. But I, I've seen, I, I don't really feel like Twitch itself drives that many people to buy games because most people are on Twitch just to watch games. But so the, the point is, that's a long ramble, but the point is, like, how interesting is your game to watch in a video? Sure. Right? And, like, a story game or a game with consumable content is not interesting at all to watch in a video. I mean, no one's, who's going to go and watch a video of Braid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to ruin the game. No one wants to watch that, right? Who's right, going to watch okay. some story game and listen to Sting, Sting's voice acting? Like, the only way to experience that is within the context of the game itself. Like, you don't want to watch somebody else go through it. Right. Um, and so, you know, your, your game has to be an interesting situation and story generating system some, of some, some kind. Mm. Like every video that somebody makes has to be different than any video as anyone has ever made about that game. That's why they're going to want to make videos about it because they're going to show something cool and crazy that just happened, right? Yeah. And so the games that have been huge hits, uh, you know, in recent times have almost all, without exception, uh, been that in, to some degree or something. Like there's something to show. Even if you go like Stardew Valley, which is a single player game, right? It's still got this kind of emergent farm thing where somebody could show 
this crazy thing they did and this crazy way their farm is functioning, right? <laughs> or sure, Factorio, yeah, yeah. of course. Factorio people are going to show this way to, you know, do this thing the most efficient way possible that no one's ever discovered before, right? With the, with all the the uh, the the conveyor belts and and mechanical arms and all this kind of stuff. So you know. And of course, you know, any of the multiplayer games, there's just hilarious, weird things yeah. that keep happening, how, right? How gifable is your game, you know, is, a, is, a, is another way of phrasing this as well, wouldn't you say? Well, I mean, gifable, I guess, would be just straight up kind of curb appeal, right? Okay. Oh, you're talking about people making gifts. People yeah, making yeah, yeah. Like, lo- like law gifts. Not, not yeah. you making gifts yourself for like promotional reasons, but right, like. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, gifable is a little bit different, I guess. But yeah, so it's I think a lot of, of people, you know, like I don't think. You know, uh, Fidel is not very video friendly, right? It's like mm-hmm. what? Like it's a strategy game. Every situation is different. You can kind of, you know, wax philosophical about the choices that you're making, kind of like a chess master would go through a game step by step and tell about why they're choosing what they're doing. But that's more like teaching someone how to play the game than it is. Like, oh my gosh, look at this yeah, cool yeah. thing that I discovered that you know, has never happened before. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's you know all these kinds of things can like kind of fold into someone's strategy in terms of what kinds of games they want to make. Right. And, and, and if people are ignoring all these things (laughs) that, and then like, why wouldn't my game take off? I just don't get it. It's not fair. Mm. Well, you're not paying attention to the world around. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I get you. And so I, you know, I, I've, because I'm supporting my family, that's the other thing, you know, I'm supporting a wife and three kids. This is my career. This is not just a hobby or something. I don't, not uh, the idea of going back to work at this point when I've been out of quote unquote out of work for like, you know, 16 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not even like on my radar, right? Like I have to make this work. So I study these things extremely closely and try to make like the best, like lowest risk <laughs> move that I can make when I'm going to spend three years working on something. Um, and, and, you know, other thing, you know, I, all the games in recent time that I've released, um, you know, have been a result of that study to some degree. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think even inside Starfield Sky, it's like, well, okay, I'm still making a single player game, but you know, people are interested in these deep replayable roguelike type things, right. At the time that they were. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, people will see value in this cause there's so much like depth to this crazy system and it gets so hard at the top levels that it's, you know, I mean, getting up above level 100 in inside Starfield Sky is pretty much impossible. Right? Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and so, and it, you know, and it was, it did kind of, I mean, at the level I was looking, it was as successful as I wanted it to be at the time, right? Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think that stuff is really important. And I think a lot of people just kind of ignore it and say, like, I just want to make the kind of game I want to make. <laughs> right. Right, which is a valid approach, too. But then you can't complain when. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, activate, I mean, you know. I mean, I was not sh- I was not shocked that Cordial Minuet did not become a huge hit. It was a crazy, risky thing. I was like, but it was on the heels of the Castle Doctrine, which was successful enough that I felt I could take a crazy lottery ticket kind gotcha, of risk. Gotcha. And and just make this crazy game that I wanted to make, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so you know, you gotta. Well, I, I'm not going around saying there's a great injustice. <laughs> it's like, no, no, people no. Didn't, people didn't want to gamble. People didn't want to gamble. What can I, you know, like right. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, actually there was a lot of really good stuff that uh, a lot of good, I think, advice that you have given for, for indies. And, um, you know, I, 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 there's a ton of other things I want to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you more about league of legends, um, and strategy games in general. Um, maybe I can have you back on at some point, um, and we can talk yeah, more absolutely. about those things. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so much for coming on. I got to wrap up now, but, um, let's, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be, 
you know, posting your links and uh, everyone can check out your games. Uh, I'll have that on my site and uh, I recommend everyone do check that out. I'm going to be checking out um, a bunch of your games over the next uh, few weeks because they are very intriguing to me and more so than they would have been um, probably, I don't know, six months ago. So I think, I think you're wrong about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think you just did miss, you just misunderstood my games. <laughs> Okay. Well, you, you, it, you say they're more intriguing because you suddenly, you know, got a soft spot in your heart for games that are about something. But that's just the—I would say—I hope that my legacy is not that. <laughs> I, well, I hope that I, I hope that I can be seen as a serious designer who really tackled these kind of hard, interesting problems and came up with, yeah, you know, it's, it's, these these compelling, deep systems that you know. And when people played the Castle Doctrine, some people played it every day for eleven months, right? Hmm. Um, it's a deep, rich, you know, crazy kind of systemy kind of game right and mm-hmm. so yes it's about something yes it's about you know home defense and and crazy insecurity run amok and everything it's um, yeah but that's just one about, little it's that's it one little factor right sci-fi or D based or else it's <laughs> art game sorry that's how it works right. um but you know the castle doctrine you know is it you know a you know, people can people actually like design kind of essentially little computer circuits in the way that they design their house, right? And right. so it's like it's you know it's it's got a lot of uh, systemic depth to it. Uh, cool. Well, I'm so, really. Looking I hope that's to my that legacy. Out. I hope that's my legacy, right? All right. Well, that's that is duly noted. Um, I will definitely check it out, and um, we can hopefully chat some more about uh those games and other things next time. All right. Um, excellent. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jason Rohr. Yes. Thank you.